Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. Well, we're going to throw some scriptures up on the screen and I want us to do something a little bit different tonight and that is read it together. Are you ready? One, two, three. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and a fellowship and a sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. All right, who didn't read it? Who's like, you don't tell me what to do. I'm not reading it. I'm Australian. I'm folding my arms. I'm not reading it. Who is that? I I see you, Christian Owens. (laughs) You can pray for repentance during overflow. Um, well, okay, so here we have uh, the new community of believers. You see, we just celebrated last week, 2,000 years ago, Jesus dying and being resurrected. Um, Here, it's actually all pretty fresh. It's just happened seven weeks before uh, where Jesus has been arrested and, and died a brutal death and then risen again. And the letter that we read is written by a man called Luke, not you, Luke, not my nephew, Luke, but Dr. Luke, who was writing to a man called Theophilus, who we assume was an official because he starts his first volume of the book in the Gospel of Luke, saying, most excellent Theophilus, I write you this letter. And, um, and fun fact, in Poland, the older people believe that actually Luke was the one who painted the black Madonna that hangs in the monastery at Chestanova and he painted it on a table that Jesus made. And while Mary was telling him all about Jesus' life, he just started painting on a tabletop. And now people walk for hundreds of kilometres still to this day to go and see this painting and children actually crawl on their hands and knees in front of this painting in order to try and please God. So just be glad you're not in Poland right now, I suppose. Um, Okay, that was for free. And... You'll never use that again, so praise the Lord. Okay, so Luke is writing to Theophilus and he's making an investigative report and he says, and we don't actually know if he came to faith in Jesus Christ while he was in conducting this research or whether he was already a believer in Jesus Christ, but he says, you know, I'm one of the believers and, and I've been talking to the people who knew him. So he's Luke and he knows people who knew Jesus and not like we are people who know Jesus, but people who actually walked with him, who were there when Jesus fed the 5,000, who were there when Jesus went and healed a dude's eyes. Like they were there and Luke gets to talk to them. And so it's this exciting time. And here we get to the point where um, Jesus has gone up. He's, he's been seen over 40 days by about 120 people as a resurrected human being, not as some do-do-do-do ghost kind of person. He's actually eaten and he's, he's flesh and blood and he's eaten and he's now gone to heaven and said, wait here until the Holy Spirit comes. And then two guys in white, dressed in white are there. And they say, what are you waiting for? Like, he's gone he'll come back one day the same way he left but he's gone now so just go and wait and and they're excited and they're pumped and they get back and they're together and they're praying and they're waiting and seven weeks after Jesus was arrested 
then the day of Pentecost happens, which was actually already set down thousands of years before in the feasts, whereby there would be a Passover supper. And then a few days later, there would be an offering, a first fruits offering. Um, and then seven weeks later, there would be the day of Pentecost. And, and now thousands of years later, they've had a Passover dinner where Jesus was arrested. They then had Jesus rise from the dead, the first fruits of all those who would rise again. And then seven weeks later, the day of Pentecost has come and the Holy Spirit comes like, what? You can't make this stuff up. It's so cool. If you didn't get that, it doesn't matter. It's just awesome. And so he's there and, and, and they're there and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells on them, and they speak in other languages, and everyone is gobsmacked because they can understand them in the language of the place that they're from, and they know that they're not educated men. Some people say, I think these guys are drunk, and, and, and that shocks me because when does drunkenness ever induce intelligence where you can speak languages? I think someone else had been drinking. But anyway, these guys are here, and, and, and they're speaking in the languages, and everyone's amazed. Peter gets up, preaches a sermon. 3,000 people are added that day get saved, get baptized, and they set up a new community. Oh, I wish I was there. <laughs> One day I'm going to get to see all those people when we go to heaven, but I wish I was there then. I hope that one day we get to be a part of something like that, where we just see this outpouring and people just flock to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. But here they are, and there's a new community about to happen, and it's the kind of utopian community that we just read about, where everyone is all together and they're all, you know, sharing each other's possessions and it's all just, nothing is mine, it's all ours and they're all wearing floral dresses and growing their beards long and their hair long. No, that's the 60s, this is the New Testament, sorry, 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 it's a, it's a utopian environment and there's something amazing going on here. And Craig Rochelle says this, but I think maybe Daz quoted it this morning, did you make that quote that we do what the many do. No. If we do what the many, if you do what many people do, you'll get what many people got. Get. <laughs> I'm pretty awesome at quotes. Um, but it goes, if you, you do what many people do, you'll get what many people get. But if you do what the few do, you'll get what the few get. So here's the few doing something fewish, and the few get something fewingly awesome. <laughs> out of what's happening here. And, and, but there's another thing that Craig Rochelle says, and I'm going to quote it right now. And it's, it's that he says that he was reading a book. You see, Craig Rochelle backs this up. He was reading a book called Atomic Habits. And he says that so often we set what are called output goals. So we say something like, this year I want to lose 15 kilos. And we get to December and we're like, hey, only 20 to go. And, and, but... Instead, we shouldn't set output goals of what the outcome is going to be. We should set input goals of something like, I want to give up sugar, and then the output might take care of itself or at least get us part of the way, but we're only doing what we can control. Whereas if we set an output goal, we can't control that. We don't know what's going to happen, but we can control the input. So what I want us to look at tonight are what's input and what's output here. So, Loco, can you throw up this scripture? Nope. The scripture. Thank you. From the start, if that's the right song. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. Next verse. A deep sense of awe came over them all. You know what I want? A deep sense of awe. 
Wouldn't you love our gatherings to be characterized by a deep sense of awe? And you know what I just did with that one sentence? I relegated this deep sense of awe to an hour on Sunday. This says that a deep sense of awe came over them all. And I reckon it came all across the week to all kinds of people, not just in a gathering on a Sunday. That's an output goal right there because we cannot manufacture a deep sense of awe. And it says, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. That's an output, miraculous signs and wonders. I tell you what, I want some miraculous signs and wonders in our gatherings. I want some miraculous signs and wonders every single day of the week, but I can't control whether or not there are miraculous signs and wonders because that's an output goal. Next verse, thanks, Locke. It says, And then all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Next verse. And if you want to, you can click on the little X and that, those lines will go away, Locke. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Next verse. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Last one. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Output, enjoying the goodwill of all the people because you can't control whether or not people have goodwill towards you. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Output, because we can't control who decides to make a decision for Jesus, but this was all as a result of the input that they were putting in. Can we give Loco a huge hand? He learned how to draw those lines this afternoon. And they're very straight, son. I'm proud of you. You know, there's a debatable output goal here. I would, I, would, I would suggest, I would debate that an output goal is that they shared together, that they sold everything they had. We might say, well, no, that's a decision that we make. But I reckon that's a decision you can't make without the Holy Spirit doing something inside you to decide to sell everything you have and share it together. It's again in verse uh, chapter 4 and verse 32. But also some people try to do it in their own strength in chapter 5 called Ananias and Sapphira and it doesn't end well for them. You see, it's an output. I would suggest it's an output goal as well. And all we can control are the input goals. So I want to give us two words this morning. And let me first ask, is there any Greek people in the house tonight? Great, we're going to say them tonight. <laughs> These two words are Greek words from this passage of Scripture, homothumidon and proskaterio. Let's say them together. Homothumidon and proskaterio. Oh, wow, you guys are amazing. Let me start with homothumidon. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, it says this. Because these two words are used mostly in the Bible in the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They all joined together, homothumidon. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together, homothumidon, in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They were all together, homothumidon. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, which we just read, it says this, it says that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, homothumidon, they met together. Acts 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and a prayer they were together this new community was together they prayed together homothumidon 
they joined together, they were all together, they met together and they prayed together, Homer Thumidon, and yet that's not even close, those English translations, to what Homer Thumidon is. Homer Thumidon is a togetherness that is unlike anything outside, I believe, of the Spirit of God. Let me give you an example from marriage. You see, you'll identify with this even if you're not married. You see married couples that are just together. Wherever they go, they're together. It's like they're always pursuing this common goal and they defer to each other constantly because they're both pursuing the same thing. And everything is just kind of, no, I'll give up for you, no, I'll give up for you because they're together of one accord pursuing the same thing. And yet then there's times when there's tiredness or, or there's different goals that clash with each other that actually don't align at all. And there's kind of this, yes, they're together because they're married and they live in the same house, but the togetherness isn't happening. And in fact, it's, it's, it's irritable and it's awful. You know, it even happens in marriage in making love. There's no other greater togetherness than there is, and yet there's a togetherness that is so together, and yet there's a togetherness that isn't really together at all. If you found that awkward, just consider my children in the room right now. <laughs> Sorry. Amos, Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says, How can two walk together unless they be in agreement? How can, how can we really walk together unless there's this agreement? And that's what Homer Thumadon is talking about. It's a compound word that means to rush along in unison. There's a momentum that comes when Homer Thumadon is there. And that's what the early believers were experiencing. There was this togetherness that came because they were pursuing a common goal. And so this momentum started and built and went on. And when I talk about it, I get a deep sense of awe on the inside of me. It's like this concerto of a, of a, of a master composer, those people. And they are there and, and they're saying, bring your pitch, bring your tone, bring your harmony, bring your melody, come all together. We're going to pursue a common goal and what we're going to find is something beautiful and rich and glorious and magnificent and it is going to be amazing. You know what? Our common goal hasn't changed from this day. When they got together, their goal was to glorify Jesus and our goal as the church, and it's personal, hasn't changed. Not to us, but to your name. We lift up all praise. How can we come with a different goal, input goal, and expect a different output goal? How can we come to church because this is what we do and expect a deep sense of awe to come on all the people? How can we come to church to hear the songs that we like and expect a deep sense of awe to come upon all the people? How can we come to church and watch the clock and think about the things that we've got to do tomorrow and expect a deep sense of awe to come on all the people? No, no, we're here to glorify Jesus. That is our goal. That is our one goal. And as we do together, oh, Homer Thumidon, here it comes. John 17, Jesus prays. And it's, it's that... That prayer that he prays where he's gone and asks his mates to stay awake praying with him and they fall asleep and he's, he's begging God to take this cross from him and he's saying, please, if there's any other way, God. But, but then he composes himself and begins to pray for us. And he says, Father, can they be one like we're one? Can they have that kind of common goal, the glorifying of God and the good of people like we do? Like our goal is to glorify our name and to do good to all people. So can they have the same goal that we do? You see, before Jesus prayed that prayer, 
there was this bickering and vying for position and jostling to say who's greater in the kingdom. Jesus prays this prayer, goes to the cross, and, and then there's this homer thumidon that comes on the people and a deep sense of awe. And, and then it's kind of deteriorated ever since. But there's moments, aren't there? Have you been in environments where there's moments of everyone going after the same thing and, and there's this, this sense that comes across us all, homer thumidon. Second one tonight, last one tonight, proscaterio. Say it with me, proscaterio. Your challenge is to use that every day this week. <laughs> Acts chapter 1 verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer. Constantly. That's proscaterio. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. It says... They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Devoted is proskaterio. Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They continued is proskaterio. Just to give you some more context, in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, it says this. It says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. That faithful word is proskaterio. Later in Romans chapter 13, verse 6, to give you a different context, it says, this is why you also pay taxes for the authorities of God's servants who give their full time to governing. That concept of they give their time is proskaterio. So my question is tonight, if, if proskaterio means to be constant in, to be steadfast in, to be devoted to, to continue in, to be faithful, to devote time to, where is the devotion in our culture? Where is the steadfastness in our culture? Where is the, that, that level of devotion? I'll tell you where it is. It's to our abs. People are so devoted to their abs. People will eat only six hours in every 24 because they're so devoted to the cell renewal of their abs. They're so concerned about autography to get their abs right. I've never seen such devotion as the people who I know who are ripped in their abs. Every opportunity, they want gram-worthy abs. I'll tell you where else is devotion, to people's booty. They go to booty camps to get the right booty. They show devotion like you wouldn't know. They eat clean, that they can detect a granule of sugar in the raw food, whole food, organic wheatgrass smoothie that they're eating and they throw that thing away in disgust because they're devoted to their booty. People are devoted, aren't they, to their lawns? You've never seen such devotion, like not in our house, but in other people's houses. Devotion to the lawn, that beautiful Walter, Sir Walter, is that what it is? Sir Walter lawn, no bindies, because they show devotion to their lawns. So how is it that there's such devotion there and, and then to the... To the important stuff, there's this flakiness. There's devotion to the meaningless and the temporal, but there's a flakiness to the stuff that matters. Like where's the devotion in stuff like a lifelong marriage, no matter how hard it is? Where's, where's the steadfastness of fatherhood even when it's tough? Where's the devotion when it comes to the sanctity of life? No devotion there, but I've got devotion to my abs. Like not me, but other people. 
You know, uh, my auntie was telling me a story that I was going to my cousin's wedding and I don't see these cousins very often and I love them so much. And, and we had to come home early because we had these stinking relatives staying at our house. And, oh, you're still here. <laughs> Um, but no, these other cousins were, were going to their wedding and, and I don't get to see them. We always have to rush off because it's usually on a Saturday and church is the next day. And, uh, and I said to Aunty Wendy, Aunty Wendy, can you let me know if anyone's getting together beforehand because they communicate via that um, Facegram, Instabook, whatever thing it is. And, and uh, I'm not on it. I'm not on social media at the moment. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that clueless. But, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thank you for the support. Um, and, and so I said, can you let me know? And she said, oh, Brian, I'm not going to know. She said, they text each other. And then at the last minute, they all change and decide not to go anyway. And, uh, and I said, what? And she said, yeah, that's, that's the, uh, all your cousins. They, 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 they say, yes, we'll do this unless something better comes along and then we'll all do our own thing. And I was like, okay, great. Please let me know anyway. <laughs> they didn't let me know. Um, <laughs> Flakiness, like where's the steadfastness, where's the devotion? And, and, and you know this even around church, you know this. You know that what started in your grandparents' generation as a church as an option then became an optional extra to the next generation and to the next generation, it became an opt-in if I feel like it. We know that this is what is occurring in our culture and yet there's a devotion that needs to occur. You see, Bonhoeffer, let's go back to marriage, it's all right, guys, I'm going to stay just with marriage, um, is that Bonhoeffer talks about that, that love is not the foundation for marriage, that marriage is the foundation for love. And what he's talking about is that there's, a, there's a, a something about that commitment and that steadfastness that creates the fertile soil to a steadfast and enduring and devoted kind of love if we'll be committed and steadfast in it. And you know this, because if you're married and you've chosen steadfast commitment to your spouse over the fleetingness of a lustful thought or act, you know that kind of character that that's built in you. You know that kind of, that joy that it's given you. Why? Because there's something about steadfastness that God loves and delights in. How about steadfastness when it comes to this next month reading the book of Acts? How about, hey, every day, except Sundays. It's even taken out Sundays because it knows that you're going to come to church and hear the Bible here and as if you'd want to get two lots of Bible on the one day. It's even made allowance for that. Steadfastness as it comes to reading the Word of God. You see, they experienced something amazing because they did what few other people do. And we wonder where the awe has gone. We wonder where the miraculous signs and wonders have gone. We wonder where, why we're not getting added to daily. And yet, are we engaged in homothumidon or proskaterio? Are we together really going after the one goal of glorifying God? And are we in fact devoted steadfast, constantly, continuing day in, day out. You see, the early church asked Jesus before they were the early church, said, Jesus, what now? And he said, stay here. So church, for us, it's personal. What now? Let's stay here. I don't mean tonight. You can go home if you like. You don't have to stay for overflow. I'm just saying let's stay in what he's set up. Not to us, but to your name, we lift up all praise and continuing in. Church, let's come to our feet. I'm going to pray for us tonight.
God, we want something real. Lord, we don't want to show up and just have no expectation around what you might do. Lord, we want to come together to glorify your name and expect that you'll do what only you can do, Lord. And Lord, not look to what we're going to get out of it, but Lord, what we might lift up towards you, that we might lift up our devotion, that we might lift up our praise and we might do that together with one goal going after you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we repent of the times that we've come to church for ourselves to get our needs met. Lord, we declare that we want to come to find out about you, to find out about what you're up to, what you're doing on the earth and get on board with that, Lord Jesus. Lord, we know that as we do, you declare that you're going to pour out to us. But we don't want that to be our motivation. Lord, align our sight, align our hearts to go after you with everything in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And if you agree with that tonight, say amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.